All right, good evening. Welcome to uh, Schraderisms here at Redemption Arcadia, and I want to welcome our uh, live stream audience on YouTube as well. I know we have a number of people uh, watching there. We're glad you're here. My name is Frank Switzer. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church Arcadia. Um, many of you know Redemption is um, nine churches locally. It's one church with nine congregations, and we are uh, gospel-centered and outward-focused, and we believe that all of life is all for Jesus, and Tom Schrader is one of our founding pastors, uh, but I know that many of you, like myself, met Tom not necessarily through East Valley Bible Church or through Redemption Church, but through Priority Living of Arizona. And so we have kind of a mixture of all of that going on, not only here, uh, physically in person, but also uh, watching online on, on our YouTube channel. A couple of people I want to introduce. Sandy Schrader is here. If you, uh, she's, she decided to come. And uh, I think she came... Uh, I, I, I told her about this, and she said, well, that's great, and maybe I'll come, and then I realized that since she's going to come, uh, the three of us are going to talk for a while, but then we're going to have her come up and clean up the mess that we make So at the end, so hope that works out well. Also, Sarah, uh, Tom's oldest daughter, is here. Could you wave? I, 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 see, I didn't ask Sarah if I could introduce her because I knew she wouldn't let me, so I'm just doing it, and I'm asking for forgiveness later, but we're very glad, and... Um, just honored that you are here uh, as well. So um, uh, I, here, I want to give you a preview of the night, and then we'll get into the night. So uh, first of all, I want to introduce these two guys that are up here with me. Uh, this is Joe Ponce. Uh, Joe is a, uh, a Redemption community leader here at Redemption Church Arcadia. He's also uh, worked a lot in our children's ministry, and um, he's uh, been a host for us on Sundays during... Our services, we have these things called hosts that come up and, and help us get through the day. Had these things. Had, the, had these things called hosts. We don't have them right now, that's true. Uh, but very involved uh, probably for the last eight and a half years at Redemption Arcadia. But I've known Joe and his wife Chelsea and their two kids for about 12 or 13 years now. And then uh, Kirk Vitingoff has also been a part of Redemption Arcadia for about seven years. And his wife Chantelle is right over there. Um, I actually married Kirk and Chantel 14 years ago, 15, 13 years ago. It seems longer than that. Anyway, so notice he looked at Chantel for the how many years? Of course I did. I, I know where that comes from. I knew so it was 13 yeah. years. But I, anyway, I got to I got to uh, uh, marry them, and again, I've known them for a number of years. And you guys have been around here, and and uh, Kirk serves helps with our production team. So generally, he's up there in the eagle's nest, but tonight he's going to be uh, down here with us. And so, um, what I'm going to do is have each of them kind of tell an opening story as to why they might be qualified to be up here talking about traitorisms. It's a couple of younger guys, not necessarily in Tom's generation, not in my generation, but one of the reasons I wanted these two guys up here was also just as a way to say, uh, Tom's legacy is living on in the next generation in a really significant way, and that's why I invited them to be here. Um, they also uh, have been tremendously transformed by Tom's teaching and, and the things that we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, then I'm going to, um, uh, after they have kind of an opening uh, comment or story or whatever it is that you're going to do, uh, this isn't very scripted tonight, so pardon us, but um, then we're going to, we've picked 15 sayings, and we know, we understand that we may not have your favorite Schrader saying in those 15, and we're very sorry about that. If you want to go on our YouTube channel, 
uh, later on and make a comment about how we failed you tonight, go ahead and do that. Uh, but we have 15. Uh, we're going to run through them somewhat quickly. Um, each of us is going to have something to say about one of them as we go through them. Uh, then once we run through them quickly, I'm going to come back and ask each of them to talk about two or three more of the sayings in deeper ways, more significant ways, um, and, and sort of share with that. So we're not going to be able to talk deeply about every one of the sayings, but I think you'll recognize most, if not all of them. And then once we're done with that, we are going to invite Sandy up, and I have some prepared questions uh, for her as well. And she's very good at, at thinking on her feet and handling that stuff, so... Uh, we're excited about that as well. So, uh, Joe, I'm going to start with you and just kind of tell your story about Schrader and whatever. Before I do that, I just, good luck, Sandy. So, no prep. You got to resurrect everything that we're doing tonight. God bless you. Um, so, I met, my wife and I met Tom when we moved here in 2008. Uh, the week after we got married, we're both from the Midwest. We got married in the Midwest. Our honeymoon was driving out to Phoenix, and as soon as we got here, a good friend of our family, the Beer Lines, if anyone knows them, shout out to them, uh, they invited us to East Valley Bible, and we were living in Gilbert, so that first Sunday, we went to East Valley Bible, and Tom was making his rounds. We met him. We had a great conversation with him uh, before the service, which I understand is rare, especially on the first service that you're there. We stayed for the service. Um, left, went home, talked about it, and we both just agreed that we weren't going to go back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this isn't going the way you thought it would go, so, is it? So yeah. one of us wasn't impressed. You could say that. I, I won't say it was Chelsea. She's not here to defend herself. So one of us wasn't <laughs> impressed. So we set out to find, you know, a charismatic, gospel-centered, just master communicator and we stumbled into PVCC, and there was Frank. So we, we fell in love with Frank and started you know, going to church there on a regular basis. Find out years later that this pastor that he knows, that he's always quoting in his sermons, is that short, funny dude from Gilbert, <laughs> Schrader. <laughs> so, Tom, you win, right? Um, you get the last laugh, but, but in all seriousness, seriousness uh, further in our relationship and, and through Frank, um, Chelsea went into Priority Living for a long time um, and really got to know him more there, so my wife did, and, and I've loved his teaching ever since and been involved in and out of you know, uh, um, East Valley and, and other things, so that's my Tom story. Yeah, so I, some of you have heard me tell this story. I had about uh, 12 different ways that I could quote Tom in my sermons. Um, there's a guy I know, there's a pastor in the East Valley, Tom, uh, Schrader, you know, I just, I had several different ways, and um, at one point at Paradise Alley Community Church, which is a church I was at before here, uh, the youth pastor decided to play a little practical joke on me, and uh, we had one of those signs out in front of the church where you open up the, the case and you could change the words in there, and so I drove up once, uh, one Tuesday morning to the church and the sign said, come here, Tom Schrader preached second hand every Sunday. <laughs> so Kurt, yeah, it's true, yeah. So I left it up for like three weeks and attendance uh, increased. So anyway, go ahead, Kurt. All right, thank you. I'm excited really to be here tonight. So thanks for having me. I was surprised you picked me, but you said I'm qualified, so I'll go with that. Um, one thing that you did, you mentioned tonight that 
I'm going to pull on the thread there is the generations that Tom's affected. And it's kind of funny in our house, my kids don't know who Tom Schrader is. They've never met him. But if anybody ever says the name Tom, so Tom Jones, they say, if they just say Tom, they say who? Tom Schrader? And everybody <laughs> looks at them like, Tom who? So at least my kids know his name. Yeah, um, that's awesome. So my story, uh, it's a long one, so I'll try to make it a little bit shorter for you guys. It began, I became a Christian late in life. It was actually 30 years old. So I think, isn't that the same time Tom Tom, Tom was 30 years old when he became a Christian. Yeah, so I was 30 years old. So, you know, before that, maybe I'd go to Episcopal Church once or twice for a holiday, and that was it. That's all I really knew. Uh, and then about 15 years ago, I started working at a company, and there was a really pretty girl there. And... <laughs> This I also sounds familiar to I me. I wanted to date her. Turned out that she was a Christian, and she was a really stubborn Christian at that. So <laughs> I worked with this girl. I wanted to date her. Same as you. Yeah. Same story. There. D different girl. Yeah. <laughs> so what did I do? I respected her and followed her wishes, and we actually we, we talked a lot. She took my questions, and we started reading the Bible together and church shopping. So meanwhile, in parallel, I left the company, thought, all right, maybe I shouldn't work with her every day and date her, and started working downtown. So I was in the Arizona Center. And one of her friends, Lee, he invited me to lunch. He's like, hey, I go to this place, I think it's called the Baptodome, Phoenix. North Phoenix North Baptist Phoenix Church, Baptist. yeah. I can never get that right. Baptodome's what I call it. Um, so every Thursday, I have a lunch. It's only five bucks. Some guy talks. Yeah, it's pretty good. He, you know, he knows a thing or two about the Bible. So why don't you come? I thought, okay, this will be good. I get out of the office. It's cheap. At least I can eat some food. So I started going every Thursday at lunch. And right away, I knew, I'm like, who is this guy? Like, I never heard anybody speak like that before. He was sarcastic and critical and funny, negative, everything that I like. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, he's real. He's, this is a real guy, not what I had ever seen ever before in church, right? Um, and then because I was reading the Bible with my girlfriend at the time, and then listening to him speak, and seeing how it was straight out of the Bible, that was all brand new to me, too. It's like, wait, yeah. this, you're speaking the truth in a way that I can understand it. So I think that was a change. And I'm, I still wasn't a Christian. So here I was, 29, turning 30. And then he's telling his story when he's turning 30. I'm like, oh, no. Is this God working on me? No. No, I'm not going to be a Christian. Uh, but he's a good teacher. <laughs> so, so I keep going. Meanwhile, we're, we're church shopping still. We end up at a church in North Phoenix called Paradise Valley Christian Community Church. Yeah. You know, didn't know who was there, what it was, but we're like, hey, this is a good one. I like it here. Good teaching, good speaker. And then it happened. You quoted Tom. So it was Frank's church. 
We walked into it, we picked it, not knowing he was a disciple of Tom. Mm -hmm. And in one day, here he quotes him, like, oh man, are you serious now? <laughs> not, so Tom was 30, here's Frank preaching, and he's preaching Tom's sermons. <laughs> Maybe I should really consider this thing, right? So continued down that path. Went to church, listened to you speak, listened to Tom at Priority Living, and really, you know, the key again was that he could explain the Bible better than I had ever heard before, and it True. really sunk in. And, yeah. and recently, we were talking about this, where I had always seen Tom as the Apostle Paul, you know, a little short, older guy with a seeping wound in his eye <laughs> for some kind of ailment. So I always thought he was Apostle Paul, but his teaching style was really like that of the Apostle John, and yeah. that he could really boil it down, make it simple for anyone to understand and apply. So, you know, really, you know, along with, with his teaching at Priority Living, your quotes of his at church, I became a Christian in November. You're just not going to give Frank any credit, are you? Right. Oh, sorry. <laughs> It's really God, though. This right? is Tom's night. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, yeah, and then I became a Christian. I said, okay, you got me, God. I can't, can't run from you anymore. Yeah, and, and it's funny because his story with Chantel is the same story that I have with Jackie, if you've ever heard my story about how uh, God used Jackie to bring me to uh, Christ. And so since that time, since he's paralleling both Tom's and my life, yeah, he shakes his head, but he's going to be a pastor someday. So. I have two daughters, too. So Yeah, that's right. Two daughters. Two, Tom has two Tom daughters. Has I two have daughters. two daughters. You have two daughters. Yeah. But I've You're going to be a pastor. I found out Tom didn't like redheads or something. He had something. He didn't. And I have red hair, and my two daughters have red hair. He didn't until Braden was Yes. Born. Yeah. Okay. So then Good. that got changed. So that's awesome. All right. So let's start going through these. And like I said, we're going to stop a little bit, but then we're going to come back. Uh, in some bigger ways. So here's the first one. Um, no matter how bad it gets, it can only last a lifetime. Anybody remember that one? So uh, if you're on Twitter, you know that some people on Twitter have what's called a pinned tweet. It's like the, what they think is their best tweet ever. If Tom had a pinned tweet, it, this might be his, his uh, pinned tweet. It's like his flagship uh, saying. Uh, and there's a lot there that we could unpack, but we'll, we'll move on for now. Um, this is also, I think, a candidate for Tom's pinned tweet. Uh, what you know trumps what you feel. Anybody remember that one? Yeah? Okay. Um, and Joe's going to talk a little bit about that one later. Uh, and then here's another one. This is one of our, one, one we use a lot around Redemption Arcadia is that false gods never fail to fail. By the way, we have um, scripture references on most of these. If you want to take notes and look up the scriptures that reference uh, these, uh, you can do that as well. Uh, here's one. Uh, this is one of the first ones I ever heard from Tom 30 years ago. God is timeless, and a timeless God does not produce dated material. Um, and uh, that's, again, uh, one of his most famous ones. Anybody remember? Yeah, okay. Um, and I know this is probably Larry's originally, but um, Tom, like me, was good at appropriating other people's stuff to himself, so... Uh, it's, I would rather suffer obediently than prosper disobediently because I know my disobedient prospering is as temporary as my uh, obedient suffering. And again, uh, Kirk is going to talk a little bit about that um, later. Uh, this next one Joe's going to talk about right now. 
uh, a little bit. Sin never stays in its place. Sin always takes us further than you wanted to go, keeps us there longer than you wanted to stay, and costs us more than you were willing to pay. That quote really, in some respects, doesn't need any more commentary. It's a standalone, perfect teaching. You could just kind of drop the mic and go, but it's had a profound effect on, on you, so I wanted you to talk a little bit about it. Well, it makes, it makes me think of, um, and I'll paraphrase, I, I found the story and it's way too long to just read through, but uh, Tim Keller's stolen it. It's in one of his books, and I know, don't know who he stole it from. Stole it from someone else, as pastors do. Um, and, and you've probably heard of the parable, but, or story. It's, it's um, this man arrives home after work, and as he gets home, he gets to his gate, and he sees a tiny dragon, I'm sorry, he sees a tiny uh, lizard sitting in his front door. And it's a cute lizard, and he thinks, well, it's harmless enough, so uh, I already killed the punchline. It's harmless enough, so I'll take it for a walk. And he creates a pet, essentially. And so every day he starts to um, enjoy looking forward to this time that he gets home, that he sees this, this cute little lizard that he gets to take for a walk around his neighborhood and feed it and love it and take care of it. Um, and as things grow right in front of you. you know, we all have this with kids and, and family members. You just can't believe it. One day you wake up and they're way bigger than they were before. He arrives home and he's at his gate and he looks up and this, this cute little lizard had turned into this beast of a dragon that could devour him. And he has this realization as he stands there, who, who's been taking whom for a walk every day that I get home? And for whatever reason, when I, when I see this quote or hear this quote, that that um, parable always sticks out in my mind. So that was one reason that it's just always kind of stuck with me. Um, that's another thing that you could just leave it in itself and, and drop the mic. Um, but it also, for some reason, makes me think of that nursery rhyme. Uh, Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. You guys don't know it? Well, you're all supposed to sing along. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, there's a father up above, and he's looking down in love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Because I think most of the Schraderisms, and I'm going to talk about this later, but most of the Schraderisms that have stuck with me have stuck with me at this stage in my life because I use them in parenting so much. You know, they're, they're so easy to understand what Kirk was talking about. He, he did such a good job of making the complex very simple, and as a dad... That's something I desperately want to do for my kids is, you know, I'm stewarding them up to know um, truth. And, and so, you know, this is one that it's, it will be said in its originality someday when my kids are old enough. But right now, it, it, it's helped me to kind of formulate that as a father. That's awesome. Okay. Um, we need to keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, Joe's going to talk a little bit more about that eventually. Before you start teaching, be sure you, have, you actually have something to say. <laughs> uh, we could talk a lot about that. Um, Tom, Tom spent a lot of time reading and studying before he actually decided he was ready to teach. And uh, the comparison to Paul, you know, Paul self-exiled before he actually really started ministry. So the, even the Apostle Paul, who was a really smart guy, uh, did that as well. Frank? Yes. Don't you think that should be on, like, where you post on Facebook or where yes. you post on Twitter? You should have to read that before you push the submit button? Yes, I have that. I have that in cap, capital letters right here, the problem of social media, you know. That's, it, 
Tom used to say this uh, as well in regard to social media and digital communication. He says the problem with social media is that some people now have never had a thought that was unexpressed. Everything gets expressed and that becomes a problem. And so um, that fits right in with that, with that quote. That's true. Uh, this next one is the one I want to talk about just for a minute. Uh, at every moment, in every relationship, you are either ministering or manipulating. So the first time years ago I ever heard Tom teach out of Philippians, uh, which has turned into one of my favorite uh, New Testament books, not only to read but to teach. Um, uh, he was teaching on Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Uh, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And he said, one of the things that we need to realize is that at every moment in every relationship, when we're talking to people and relating to them, we're either ministering to them or we're manipulating them. And I remember the first time he said that, I, my reaction was, nah, that's not true. That's just not true. And, but, but the, the thought, the quote, the teaching stuck with me for weeks and then months, and it wouldn't leave me. It haunted me. And I finally realized that the reason I didn't think it was true was because of the darkness and sin in my own heart. I did not want to reconcile with myself the fact that um, at every moment in every one of my relationships, I'm either serving that person or I'm trying to get them to serve me. And the problem is that even when I think I'm serving somebody or ministering to them, the reality is that most often I'm actually manipulating them to serve me. That's how dark the heart is. That's how dark my heart is. And that's why it was hard for me to recognize the truth of that um, because of my own heart. I just, I wanted to reject it. Uh, I was talking to uh, Tyler Johnson today. We had a, con a long conversation, good conversation, and, and, and that came up today, the fact that when I react strongly to something, um, I, I should start to think about where my heart is and not necessarily whether or not what I'm reacting to is true or not. Maybe it's the prob a problem with my own heart. And so that was one of the things that very early taught me in Tom's teaching that no matter, no matter how much it would cut to the core of who I was and sometimes would even be painful, I needed to listen and I needed to take it and, and, and stew on it and, and really try to understand the truth of it. Because he had the ability to do that. He had the ability to cut through all the mess and get right at it. So that, that's, that's one that has affected me tremendously. Uh, this next one Kirk's going to talk about eventually. Um, the question is not, how much of my money should I give to God, but rather, how much of God's money should I keep? Um, this next one Kirk is going to talk about right now. If you're not having fun when you're sinning, then you're not sinning correctly. Right. So the perfect guy to talk no. about this. <laughs> that was before I was 30. Yes. I don't sin anymore. No. Just, no, not true. Loudest reaction was from <laughs> Chantel. Chantel, you need to check your heart. Yeah. Now, yeah, so this one resonated, and I think it actually pairs perfectly with the one that Joe read earlier about, you know, sin taking you further than you want it to go. But for me, where it really resonated was, you know, early on as a Christian, well, pre-Christian, listening to Tom, he told a story once about, like, before he was a Christian, 30, 29, 
They used to call him the Baskin Robbins of sin. Anyone know that? Anyone know why? Anyone know why? Tom was the Baskin Robbins of sin. He could turn one sin into 31 different sins. (laughs) (laughs) He was that good at it, right? So... What the, why this resonated, though, and that story resonated as a non-Christian and then as an early Christian was because I didn't think I was sinning. It really is a non-Christian. I'm just having fun. I'm doing what everybody else is doing. I'm, there's nothing wrong with this, and I'm good at it. I enjoy it. <laughs> and so to hear that and, you know, ruminate on it and really think, okay, I'm having fun sinning, so I'm doing it right. But now I just admitted I sinned. <laughs> it's like, oh, so he trapped me. But, <laughs> but it's the truth. Then I, you know, so then it, it revealed to me really what was happening in my life and then paired with how far sin can take you. I can look beyond that moment in time when the sin is fun and see the repercussions dysfunctional relationships, problems with money, you name it. But when you're in the middle of the sin, it's fun, and you don't think about that. Yeah, but then the consequences kick in, that's true. Uh, Next one, death is at the center of genuine love. Uh, He used to love to quote George Bernard Shaw on this, the statistics on death are impressive, one out of every one person dies. How many of you remember that uh, he, would, he would do this when teaching on Hebrews 9.27, and he would call Hebrews 9.27 the Schlitz verse? Anybody remember that? Wrong with you. The Schlitz verse. Man, you people are really young, okay? Do you all know what Schlitz is? Yeah, it's beer. It's not around very much anymore. It wasn't very good either. But they had, a, they had a saying back in the 60s and 70s. Their motto was what? Schlitz, you only go around once in life, so grab for all the gusto you can. That was their, that was their motto in the 60s and 70s. I can't, this is, wow. You guys need to watch more TV. All right, so anyway, he called that the Schlitz verse. Uh, and then two more. Uh, number 14, if the only problems you have can be solved by money, then you, really, you don't really have any problems. That's, that's a tough saying. That is a tough saying. And Kirk's actually going to talk about that a little bit later, and I think he has some helpful insight on that. And then the last one we have is, uh, show me your bank statement and your calendar, and I'll show you where your heart is. You all remember that? Right? How many of you would say we missed one or two? Anybody? Just go ahead and read. Yeah, okay. Just, just throw me one. Changed lives change lives. Yes, I used to say that all the time. Another one? So in other words, we missed a lot of them. Okay, yeah. All right. Anybody else? Anybody? Okay, maybe not so bad. All right. Well, let's go back then. Joe, what you know trumps, if you could put that back up, what you know trumps what you feel. If you could talk a little bit about that. We have um, really helpful verses up there, I think, especially, I think most of you know Jeremiah 17, 9. I'll bet that a lot of you don't know quite as much about Numbers 15, 39. You ought to read that verse and read it in context. It's shocking, uh, but really helpful. So anyway, go ahead and talk about that a little bit. Uh, so. Yeah, before I do that, the, um, just real quick, the death is at the center of genuine love. 
I mean, I was reading this again today, and I just thought, you use that in premarital counseling, right? And, yes. And if not, we should definitely use it for anyone who's getting ready to become a parent. Yes. Because um, <laughs> it's so true. But yeah. yeah, no, what you know trumps what you feel. This, it, I use this all the time uh, because it's so basic and it's so good with my kids. Um, so they'll know who Tom Schrader is, too, if I give him credit. Uh, but, I mean... In our household, we've chosen to use the, the shorthand Westminster Catechism uh, a little bit or versions of it to help teach our kids and, and you know, Bible memorization, just help them know truth. Uh, and they're young, four and six. But it's amazing how when you have those tiny little fundamental truths, um, <laughs> how much you can use this to overcome the most basic things like nightmares. Um, my daughter and I, when she has nightmares, we'll sit in her bed at night and have these conversations about what she knows. Um, you know, who made you? God made me. What else did God make? God made all things. You know, and we'll just go through the first few lines to get that foundation of what you know. And then well, what are you feeling? Well, this is what I feel. Well, why do you feel that way? And it's, it just, it's changed the way that I parent. And I know it's really basic and simple, but it's been so good. And, 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 I love Tom for that because he makes, you know, being a parent easier when it's the hardest thing that you can imagine, right? Yeah, yeah, that's so true. That's my story about that one. Good. All right. Um, Kirk, you wanted to talk about I would rather suffer obediently than prosper disobediently because I know my disobedient prospering is as temporary as my obedient suffering. Thank you. To me, this is the hardest one. Um, what I love about this saying is that it's not, to me, it's not typical, Tom. Like I said, he usually teaches John style. Straightforward, easy to understand. But this one has resonated with me so much because it was more existential. I had to actually pause and think about it and really understand it. So in this sense, it's more like Paul. Yeah. And I know we were, and this is a Frank quote. I didn't say this. Frank said, if the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John had a kid, it would be Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I would never put Paul and, Tom and John together. But. Well, actually, yeah, it was hypothetical. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, here I think it's more in depth. And there's a lot of layers to this one. So, you know, I had, this one stuck with me. I didn't understand it. And I had to think about it. Um, as, as I grew in my faith, right? Because as a new Christian, I was on fire and all about God, and this is pretty easy. But then the real world comes in and reality and, and what's okay out there. And I realized, you know, um, prospering without God, so whether it's climbing the ladder and corporate life and, and making a buck here and there, and not doing it with God is going to make me worse off later when I'm not here anymore uh, than if I would have just followed God and it might and it will bring me suffering. We know we will we should expect trials of many kinds, right? So that it's okay to suffer as long as you're with God. But then, so again, there's so many layers to this one, and then I'm thinking, well, does that mean that I can't prosper? 
But I think it, it, the point is, no, you can. You want to make sure you're prospering with God, right? So it's checking your heart, knowing, mm, is this the evil in me trying to prosper without God? Or am I really following what God wants me to do? So it, it shifted a lot uh, for my career growth and my family and my goals and, and changed me. Speak, speaking of career, just tell us, each of you, just tell us what you guys do for, for a living. I'd be interested. They might be interested. In right, you might be. If you've seen The Office, I am Michael Scott. I, I'm a manager in marketing for uh, Republic Services. So we do trash, recycling, uh, waste services. And you work primarily, though, in information systems, right? No, I moved last you, you year. Moved. Oh, so, okay. yeah, I did a lot of work in the IT field, and yeah. I was with IT for three years with Republic and moved into marketing. Oh, so now, okay, so, now you are. In my, wow. It's digital marketing, so it's a hybrid. So you have, you have a master's from the U of A. Is that why you got your master's from the U of A? Because it gives you that versatility to go both in both areas? Is that well, I got it from the U of A because it's the best school oh, in the okay. state. <laughs> Just but, thought I'd tee that up for yeah, you. Yeah, thank yeah. you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that definitely helped bridge the gap. And, you know, that's a, that's a skill that you don't see much. You're either IT or you're marketing, and you need that liaison oh, in between. Okay. Glad you cleared that up. I thought the skill you don't see much is a degreed person from U of A. Anyway. Uh, um, <laughs> I like that he do? pointed out that it's only the best state or best school in the state. He, he didn't, you know, go all the way out there. Um, I'm a financial advisor and work in North Scottsdale. My, my partner and I have a practice, and it's much less exciting than being the Michael Scott of the office, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> How long have you been married to Chelsea now? Twelve years. Twelve years. Okay, good. All right, and you have two children, and Joe two has girls. two children. Yeah. You have two girls, and how old are they now? Twelve and nine. Okay. Did I get it right? Yikes. No. So, Eleven. She's almost twelve. So, Joe, we need to keep the main thing the main thing. So, I love this one for a few reasons, but on, um, I have to admit, I actually like Alistair Begg's version better. Does anyone know who Alistair Begg is? Yeah, so... Yeah. By yeah. the way, if you don't know who Alistair Begg is, you should. You uh, should. He, he, he's a pastor that none of us know. Um, <laughs> So he says, and I'm going to read it, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. Um, he says it, you know, in the context of dealing with God's word, but it's the same thing as what I think Tom's saying here. Um, I, I love that because at Redemption, at a lot of churches, in, in any context of, of, you know, teaching the Bible or studying the Bible, whether you're by yourself or with other people, um, and, and maybe this is only my experience, but it's easy to go off on you know, rabbit trails um, in God's word and want to know things that he just hasn't chosen to reveal to us. And so this is one that I am constantly quoting to myself first and foremost. And then if I'm ever in a, in a situation where I'm teaching or leading a discussion, it, it always gets put out there because inevitably, you know, we come to these really difficult pieces with scripture that, that you know, frankly, God just, he's chosen not to reveal that to us yet. And there's questions that you know, we, we don't have the answer to. And so, of course, you know, full circle, bring this back to my kids. You know, my kids are, uh, at least Willa, my daughter, is, is notorious. Um, she, she has this ability to just keep asking questions. Um, <laughs> 
good, insightful, curious questions. Um, so, you know, I even use this in, in the parenting context of just, that's not a main thing, it's not a plain thing, and, and there are just certain things that God has chosen not to reveal to us, and, and so we don't need to know the answer. We just need to trust him. So that's why I love this one. Um, I, I didn't realize this. This is important to me, too, because I didn't realize this for a long time listening to Tom uh, until one day it just, it just hit me how every time he spoke, whether it was at church doing a sermon or even at Priority Living just doing a Bible study, he was able to slip in a gospel message, a clear, unequivocal message about the gospel and the need for salvation, and he was able to do it in such a natural way. And that's how he was always able to keep the main thing the main thing, too, because he always knew that whatever we're going to talk about, and he would talk about anything, and he would talk about it well. Um, Jim Moreland and I always used to have a joke that, you know, we could... Uh, before a priority living study started, we could walk up to Tom and hand him a paperclip and say, speak on this for 45 minutes, and we would be mesmerized, amen? And, and, um, but he would do that, and he would somehow bring the paperclip back to the gospel and be able to teach that. And so that was, uh, for me, that was always uh, really helpful too. It was always rooted in scripture. He always had that deep background um, that guys like John and Paul also have, so... Uh, really helpful. All right, Kirk, you get to, uh, I think you're going to combine a couple now, aren't you? On the money? Probably, yep. Yeah, it's so you're going to probably talk about both of these. So the first one is, the question is not how much money, how much of my money should I give to God, but rather how much of God's money should I keep? And the second one is, if the only problems you have can be solved by money, then you don't really have any problems. Yeah, so let, let's talk about this one. This one's one of my favorites of all time. Made a huge difference in my life. So, right, again, non-Christian, early Christian, coming into the church. I knew, yeah, tithing's something you do, right? It's, it's, you have to pay your admission fee to come into church. <laughs> and, and I'll be honest, you know, my, I play these games in my head and say, well, is it 10% of gross or net? And what about capital gains? Because that's not my normal income. Do I have to do, no, nah, I don't have to do 10% on that. And then money that might have been gifted to me, they probably tithed on that already, so I don't need to tithe on that, right? So. You know, these games that I would play and say, all right, I'm, I'm paying my tax, I'm coming to church, and then to hear Tom preach on this, you know, because I wasn't a Christian, and but I continued to go to priority living after I was a Christian. So it wasn't only a conversion story with Tom, it was a growth story. And now these Schraderisms are stuck in my head so that they continue my growth. And this was one of the biggest ones. So once he taught this to me, it was to me, I guess, to everybody. He, it, he was teaching on it at Priority Living once. It flipped me upside down. Like it changed my whole perspective on, on tithing and giving money in that. And it, you know, what was most surprising was it was a burden released. Like as soon yes. as I understood yeah. this, I was at peace. Like I had no, I wasn't playing those analytical games of 10% of this and not this and that. And it made it so easy to say, you know what? 
I'm lucky to have what I have. I'm blessed. And I want to give it all back to God, but I know he, you know, the story of the talents, that he wants me to do things with it, and he wants me to steward it well. But it just, it released that burden as soon as I heard this. Isn't that interesting that Tom's teaching on money released the burden for this guy of money and, and all of that? And I feel the same way, too. Yeah. The, way, the way he could help explain what we think is ours is really not ours, but we get to steward it. We get to be trustees of it. Yep. And suddenly there's freedom there. Exactly. You know? Yeah, freedom. So it, we, we were having this conversation just yesterday. Um, Tyler Thompson, our worship pastor, led our staff meeting, and he was talking about freedom and constraint. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we talked about how uh, the world sees freedom as freedom from things, but mm -hmm. Christianity our faith sees freedom as freedom for things. And this is what Tom would teach us, is that we have the freedom now for things, to do things right. uh, for God. So that's good. So how does that tie into um, the, the next one? The exactly. You, good transition. So what is the next one? It's that next <laughs> right. money the one. The only problems yeah, you right. have can be solved by money. So here, here's that burden released, but I'm working in the corporate world and I'm trying to climb the ladder and there's this mentality of, oh, if I could only make this much more, I wouldn't have any of these problems. If I could yeah, just get that position, then I could do better in my life. And, and so that freedom that was given with the tithing also paired with this helped me understand that you know, those, those aren't problems. I don't have, you know, if you have terminal cancer, no amount of money can fix that. You have broken relationships or you don't have faith, money can't solve that. And those aren't worth some money, th those positions and that money's not worth pursuing because it's not going to solve anything. And it, it's kind of like, I look back when I first went to college, went to the dorm room, I had a suitcase. And then junior year, I got an apartment with a washer and dryer. And I said, oh, I got to have a washer and dryer from now on. <laughs> then I got an apartment with a garage. Always have to have a garage. And it, it was just more and more. And it's never enough. And those aren't problems. And I hear a lot of times people saying, first world problems, like, uh, I had to wait two hours to get my DoorDash, first world <laughs> problems. Those aren't problems, right? So we need to understand that. And, and again, it gives, you, it gives me that freedom. I don't worry about it anymore. Yeah. That's interesting. Tom used to quote, you know, um, was it uh, Jim Elliott's wife? Uh, what was her name? Su Susan Elliott? Elizabeth Elliott, yeah. Um, she, she wrote, she published some of um, his uh, journals after he died, and, and he had that, that saying in there about how, you know, here's the problem with all this accumulation. It just creates all these problems that aren't really necessarily uh, problems. So interesting uh, concept. It, it, when you hear this quote, like a lot of Tom's quotes, when you hear it, it it jolts you and it doesn't maybe sound all that compassionate. Um, like, uh, no matter how bad it gets, it can only last a lifetime, you know. I mean, a lot of people hear that and they're like, oh, thanks for ruining my day, you know. Um, but it's true. Uh, when you hear something like this, you have to put it into that context of um, 
All of us think at one time or another, if I just made $20,000 more a year, all my problems would go away. No, they wouldn't. It's just going to create a whole new set of problems. And you're not going to understand what real problems are until you, you begin to understand your deeper problem, which is your need for Jesus. That's the deepest problem uh, that we have, and only Jesus can solve that problem. Um, I want to take a minute and go back to... Um, no matter how bad it gets, it can only last a lifetime. Um, and uh, what you know trumps what you feel, those top two. Um, uh, the reason Tom says that first one, uh, no matter how bad it gets, it can only last a lifetime, uh, I think that, that saying maybe has more relevance today than it ever has. I mean, specifically right now, um, because we're hearing, I don't know if you've been seeing this, but we're hearing a lot of what are now being called these, quote, wonderful deconversion stories. Do you all know what I'm talking about? So these uh, Christian uh, musical artists who are now coming out, with, and sometimes Christian, uh, very famous Christian authors and pastors who are now coming out with great fanfare saying, I don't believe this stuff anymore, and here's why. And then they tell some heart-wrenching story about how awful something is. And, you know, and then they would say, you know, a God of love would never allow this to happen. And what Tom is reminding us with this saying is he's reminding us that this world is not all there is. And, and this world is and can be wonderful, but it can also be miserable and challenging and hard and um, I've said before that when, when God was working on me and, and the Holy Spirit was drawing me and changing my heart, the thing that finally closed the deal for me was when I realized that the Bible didn't sugarcoat anything. This, and sorry if you're an Oprah fan, but it doesn't, it, it's not, the Bible's not Oprah, you know? You can't just place your problems on a cloud and watch the cloud drift away, blah, 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 blah. The, the Bible says things like, consider it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And Jesus saying, um, in this world you will find trouble, but take heart, I have overcome this world. The Bible is telling us um, the reality of a fallen world. And that's, that's refreshing in this world, that somebody is actually going to tell us the truth. And that's the Bible. And Tom used to tell us the truth, too. And so what you know trumps what you feel. And, and um, uh, no matter how bad it gets, it, it can only last a lifetime, are those truthful sayings that are in your face saying, this world is not all there is, and you need to understand you can't trust your heart. It's not that we shouldn't have a heart. God talks about converting our heart, and the heart and the emotions are important. But if we're ruled by them, it can become such a problem. Um, it's interesting the, the history of, now, so what you know trumps what you feel. Uh, it's interesting the history in philosophy of that. Um, if you read uh, Plato especially, but Aristotle to some extent as well, um, Plato was steadfast in his declaration that the only people qualified to govern others were those people that used their mind and not their emotions. And in other words, what Plato was saying was that the only people qualified to govern others were philosophers because they would think through things and they would understand logic 
logos and, and all of that. They're the only, you should only be ruled by your mind. But then in the 17th or 18th century, the philosopher David Hume comes along and says, that's all bunk. Uh, the heart rules the day. You should, you should um, run everything by your heart, which is pretty much the cultural message uh, today. And then Thomas Jefferson came along, and I know we think of him as one of the fathers of the nation, but he was also, he fancied himself quite the philosopher, and he wrote a lot of philosophy, and he read a lot of philosophy. What he said was that the mind and the heart are co-regents of the person. And so there's this interplay between the mind and the heart, and, and um, they, they sort of shared in partnership and were equal, and that's not necessarily true. And then you come up with some of these newer guys like Jonathan Haidt and... Um, uh, the, Hit, the Heath brothers, Chip and Dan Heath, and they, and they talk about how Chip and Dan Heath especially, actually they stole it from Jonathan Haidt. Jonathan Haidt says, you know, your mind is like uh, a rider who is guiding an, a, a, an animal. So how many of you have ever ridden a horse? Okay, you know, you're, you're the rider, you're guiding the horse, right? You're in charge of the horse. That's what the mind is supposed to be. Um, but, then, but then Haidt says, the problem is, is that you're really not riding a horse, you're riding an elephant, okay? And if an elephant decides to go somewhere that he or she wants to go, there is nothing the rider can do about it, right? Do you see where this is going? The elephant is the heart. And so they make the argument that the rider has to somehow get control of the heart and, and understand how your emotions are playing into that. Scripture has been saying this all along. God has been saying this all along. The heart is very important. God changes hearts. He takes hearts of stone and turns them into hearts of flesh, and he converts hearts, and that's very important. But Paul is the one who says it is the mind that is transformed by the renewing of the gospel, and we need to understand that. And Tom was so good at teaching those truths. What you know trumps what you feel. We know we, we feel bad in the midst of things. We're going through some absolutely devastating things in our church right now with some families and some people, things that I would never want to see anybody have to go through, and there's a sense in which our heart is, is just saying, this just isn't right. But we also have to remember that this isn't what God had planned, this isn't what he created originally, and it's not all there is. There is something beyond this. And with these deconversion stories, one of the most troubling aspects of it is every one of their stories has an element of it's not right what's going on here, and therefore they, they believe that the only thing worth any value at all is this world right here, which is eventually going to be completely restored and redeemed when Christ comes again. That's an important thing to remember, and Tom consistently taught that throughout his ministry, which I think is... It's a great foundation to be able to build good scriptural teaching and gospel-centered teaching on. So, um, Sandy, you ready to come up? All right. Could you welcome Sandy Schrader? You guys want to? Oh, right, yeah, go ahead. All right. Uh, can you thank uh, Kirk and Tom? Are there any closing comments here? No? Okay. All right. Good. All right. So, Sandy. Glad you're here. Let me find Thank these you. Uh, questions. Thank you, guys. All right, this is a hard act to follow. And the, the setup for this is so not fair. I'm not good at thinking on my feet. And Tom was all of that. I'm not. <laughs> it's not what Tom used to tell me about oh. you. 
I guess we could have oh, some conversation. I don't know. Or, we we well, might have ask, to ask everybody well, here let me when, ask you when this. we're finished. Huh? Here, this is a question I didn't even think about. Uh, any opening comments? Anything you want to say before we get into the questions that I have? Um, well, this is really cool. So first, thank you. Um, it's really neat to think about, to hear about um, not only Tom's ministry while he was here on earth, but also the impact that it continues to have. Uh, so thank you. Yeah, that's well, we wanted to do it to honor him, but also uh, another reason we wanted to do it was um, times are tough right now, aren't they? How many of you are really excited about the context we're living in today? Yeah, okay. I wanted there to be something encouraging, you well, know. If Tom was here, he would make it fun. There is yeah. something, yeah. whether it's COVID or wearing a mask or, uh, you know, every sentence, he would have a witty joke uh, about something uh, that was on the news or something. Um, Nobody so, could think like he could. And no. But I will say this, um, about two weeks into the lockdown, I text Sandy and I said, I hope it's not too soon for a comment like this, but um, Tom got out just in time. <laughs> and she texts back and she said, no, he didn't. He would have loved this. <laughs> Confined to his couch watching television. He would have loved that. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. It's like, yeah. boom. And yeah. she, as she sent it back just like that, too. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, Tom was made for lockdown. Tom was made <laughs> for safer at home. Tom was made so for true. the world that we're living in right now. Don't leave the house. <laughs> lay on the couch and watch TV 24 hours yeah. a day. And, and he could do it. It was amazing, you know? And we never, you know, you'd hear him. He'd say, I watch a lot of TV. And you'd be like, yeah, yeah, I watch a lot of TV too. No, Tom watched a lot of TV, <laughs> 24 hours uh -huh. a day of TV, 365 days out of the year. And he would just uh, send you and Haley and Sarah to Costco to get Cheetos, and he'd be all oh. set. Cheetos and popsicles. Yeah, well. Yeah, I was thinking on the way over that tonight would have been the perfect night. His dinner would have been Costco fudge sickles and peanuts. So it was kind of like peanut butter and chocolate, you know, yeah. but that was it. He, he could eat a whole box of fudge sickles and then he'd have the big jar of peanuts from Costco. Yeah, they'd be gone. He's a health food He'd nut. He'd fall asleep. There'd be popsicle on the bed, fudgesicle <laughs> stains. Yeah, that was Sounds time. like our house, doesn't it, Jackie? Yeah, okay, sorry. All right, so here you go, question number one. You've heard our perceptions, Joe, Kirk, and, and myself. Now, um, which do you think might be Tom's pinned tweet, his, his uh, sort of his flagship saying, uh, and which two or three really resonate with you? You know, I was thinking as you were talking, as, as all three of you were talking, that um, we focus a lot on the what you know trumps what you feel. And he did say that a lot. Um, but I think even more than that, he, would, he, he said, keep it simple. Yes. Or some days it was, keep it simple, stupid. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, but, but that was, in, in, if, you, if you wrap Tom up in just what was it about him that made um, his teaching so effective? And, and you talked about this. It was that he kept it simple. And so you take something like what you know trumps what you feel, 
it wraps everything, God's sovereignty, God's immutability, God's um, faithfulness, God's trustworthy, all of those attributes of God takes all of that complexity and makes it into something very simple, very easy to remember, um, and, and pairs it with what you know, you know God, you know his attributes, and, um, but you also know that your feelings can't be trusted. Uh, but, but also, Tom didn't leave it there, so he would take something like that point, and then he would, perhaps the next week, or a lesson following that, and would do something like, you study the Word of God to learn the God the of word. the Word. Yes. You yeah. know, so, yeah. the, and, and the more I look through his journals, and, and, and watch videos, <clears throat> and go through a lot of the priority living stuff, um, what I have found is his, he was constantly in his notes and his thoughts and everything that he did, he was reframing things. And sometimes it was reframing sentences to package it a little bit fun to make it sticky um, or sometimes even words. So in one of the journals, he, um, he had, uh, and, and, he, and he literally had the title of it, uh, the little section was reframing words. And it was, what on earth are you doing? And then the reframe would be, what are you doing on earth? And then uh, on that same page, um, he would change a word. Do you want to make a point or do you want to make a difference? And so as you think, as I think about his teaching, as I hear different things, as, I, as you guys were talking, so much of it was his uncanny ability to simplify, to make the main point the main point, to reframe things so that we could not only understand it and so that it would stick, but also he would dive into the complexity, the complexity of God and his many attributes and, and, and did it in a way that was so simple for the non-believer or the baby believer and so complex for those that were mature in their faith. Um, another one tied with what you know is, uh, trumps what you feel is, our hope is rooted in the character of God, the promises of God, the faithfulness of God, the sovereignty of God. And he would do that over and over and over again. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes they'd just pop out and he didn't even know where they were coming from. And then other times there'd be doodling and, and uh, you know, notes in his journals or on the side of books and that, things that's like That's true. I can't yeah. tell you how many times I'd hear him teach and he'd say something and after he said it, he would go, ooh, that was really good. I'm going to have to remember that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, you the know. other side was true, too, that he would say something and he's like, I think that was really good, but apparently it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> like, nobody paid attention to that. You know, or I've he, said it three times and nobody caught on to it. His humility and his self-deprecation mm -hmm. was something that I think people also appreciated and resonated with. Yeah, yeah. He was, um, you know, he was never afraid to talk about his sin or, or even... Um, so much of it was, he knew that if he thought it, that other people were thinking it. So as sinful or inappropriate as his thoughts were, he would, he would you know, share them in an appropriate way. And he would do it not, well, right, <laughs> I saw that. Um, but he would do it so that, so that you, so that as the listener, you could resonate with him. And you're like, 
oh, wow, yeah, he, he thinks the same way I do, you know? Um, and, and if he's up there and God is using him, then, oh, my goodness, what can God do with me? And, and you know, as I look at the redemption now, church, the, the core values that we have, that we talk about all the time uh, in pastor meetings and staff meetings and things like that, the things that are important to us, um, especially as Tyler leads us and as his son-in-law and, and Tyler was so influenced by Tom. Um, you think about some of these core values, like one of our core values at Redemption Church is um, we have nothing to prove and no one to impress. And that's just, that's Tom, you know? And, and that then gets into Tim Mon. Some of you know Tim Mon, uh, and how important he is to so many of us and to redemption. And, and Tim's saying of, we need to seek to be small. We need to seek to be small. In a world that is constantly seeking to be big, we need to seek to be small. We have nothing to prove and no one to impress. Yeah. To, to tie into that, um, uh, and, and I, I don't know the lesson, and I know I used it several, many different lessons, but I always think of Paul and, and his credentials, and this ties right into the humility. So one of them that I wrote down is, you, you have nothing to brag about. Your smarts, your education, your wealth, your possessions, even your looks are from God, or your plastic surgeon, but then... Even then, God gave you the money to pay him or her. <laughs> you got nothing to brag about. Yeah. There, there's nothing. You know, it's That's all awesome. from God. I'd never heard that one before. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. You got to slide the plastic surgeon line in there. You can use it. I'll, I'll share. Okay. I'd like to have your notes when you're done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a couple of others that you, yeah, you I was, guys... The second yeah. question is what sayings did we miss? Yeah, so go um, ahead. One thing that um, I moved to Arizona in 2007, and I remember Tom saying this in many different contexts, um, and, uh, and, and then it was interesting because probably 2007 to 12, 13, um, I, he would say it a bunch. And, and then listening to some of, and, and reviewing some of his older tapes, I haven't, didn't hear him say it quite as much in, um, in the latter part of his life. But God either caused or allowed whatever, mm -hmm. cancer, trials, tribulations, and he uses whatever you fill the blank in with for my good and his, his glory. glory. Yeah. He, that was that was one that again yes. as I first came um, and and my uh, Tom story was I came to uh, East Valley Bible Church and I really liked the music. <laughs> That's what I told him to. <laughs> and, you got to keep him he, humble. As he went around and said hello to people, I would say, "Yeah, the music was really good." <laughs> that was it. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, another one. Oh. You know, here's one. The only green vegetable I ever eat is chocolate mint ice cream. Yes, yep. True. Just for fun. No. I remember um, there that. are some, some serious ones. And, and again, it was his ability to, to, to phrase, to reframe, to make it catchy. So we're saved by God, from God, for God. For God yeah. Wraps a lot in yeah. there. It's God that does the saving. It, you know, our punishment is, is, uh, for our sin is death. We're, we're saved from that wrath, um, and we're saved for God to do his work. Um, living in God's story for God's glory for, with God's joy. Yeah. yeah so a couple other things before I ask her the last uh, question. Um, uh, you heard Kirk and Joe up here talk about 
parenting and how much of Tom's sayings and parenting has drifted down to them now. Um, Jackie and I will tell you that Tom and, and Susan had a great deal of influence on how we parented Shelby and Darby as well. Anybody else in this room can say that they, they, were par they parented uh, in some respect because of the way Tom taught them? Again, just, it's amazing. Here's a guy that never went to seminary, uh, but we could be thankful for that. You never went to seminary. <laughs> I'm kidding. I have a seminary degree. If somebody somewhere along the lines told them it would ruin them, they said, you're really good. Yeah. Don't do it. it yeah. Don't go. So we didn't. When, when he heard that I was going to go to seminary, he said, wow. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And I did. I told him I had an answer for him. It was one of the few times I did have an answer. I said, um, Tom, unlike you, who Tom did have discipline, believe it or not, he had the discipline to read the really hard stuff without somebody making him read it. Mm -hmm. the, the really thick stuff, the really important stuff. I said, unlike you, I don't have that discipline. I'm going to have to pay somebody to hold me accountable to read the right stuff and write the right papers. That's why I have to go to seminary. So seminary is not for everybody, but that's why it was for me and why it wasn't for Tom, because he could read anything and understand. By the way, he could read anything and understand it and boil it down. Yeah. Yeah. He was really good at that. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask, just generally, you talk about going through and listening to his old mm -hmm. messages. Mm -hmm. I've been doing that. I, I miss him so much. I've been listening to um, some of his older, older priority living. And what the, the series I just most recently went through was Christianity 101. Anybody remember that, that series? Anybody doing that now, going back and listening to some of his old, old, old? Yeah, isn't that... That awesome. Yeah, it's really yeah. cool. But getting back to the parenting, I can say, um, you know, and I, and I did not know Susan, so I, I don't have firsthand knowledge of her, but, but knowing Sarah, knowing Haley, knowing Tyler and the kids, um, you see the impact of the love and the care and the Bible, the word that they poured into yeah. Uh, Sarah and Haley as they were growing up and to see that travel through the generations is really cool it's really awesome. cool yeah. Yeah. yeah well here's the last question we'll close with this and then I'm going to ask actually um, Steve I want you to actually come up and pray us out of here and if you could okay and I'll introduce you properly don't worry you'll have to take off your mask though um, what is the one thing that never came up tonight that you wish had come up and you would like to talk about now. Oh, gosh, we could be here for, oh, for a long time. Uh, but, but the one thing, uh, I've got to get to the main thing. Um, you know, what, what Tom did, um, and, and this was another Tomism or a Schraderism, um, that he believed that it was his mission to make the invisible God visible and to speak the truth boldly. Um, he taught on that, and he lived it. He lived it without a doubt. Um, he pursued, from the minute God saved him, he pursued God's plan for his life. Um, and he admitted that God pursued him first, that he was an unlikely character, and that out of anybody that God could have chosen, that Tom was not worthy of it. Uh, but, but from that moment, at, at 30 years old, he, uh, he gave his life to God and, and said, do with it what you want. Uh, in one of the tapes or videos I listened to, he was like, yeah, you know, and God, you know, he lets me do what I want, and hopefully I won't screw it up too much. Hopefully, you know, I'll get out of here without screwing it up too much. Um, but in one of the uh, journals that I found, um, 
Tom had written this quote, and I, it's not his, um, and I don't know whose it was. I tried Googling it to see if I could put an author to it, but it is, God allows us to live in this day, in this minute, with an ever-present sense of the future reality that is this mo that this moment is inescap inescapably linked to God's plan and his future rest for us. And Tom lived every day, each day, thinking about eternal life with Jesus. And he lived every moment to glorify God and share his word with us. That's true. That's true. That's yeah. a great way to end. Yeah. So, um, Our other two elders are here tonight. Jim Moreland is here somewhere. I saw him come I in earlier. He is home. he still, he did he go home? home? Yeah. Okay. He's watching us online. He's watching Jim, us hey, online. Good to see okay. you, Jim. And, and Steve Wheeler is another elder. Um, both of those guys, uh, uh, as well as myself, uh, our lives have been heavily influenced and transformed by Tom's ministry, his teaching, and everything. Um, uh, Arcadia is Redemption Arcadia, but we have a lot of the DNA of Tom in here as a result of that. And um, so I'd like to ask Steve to come up. Steve was one of Tom's uh, closest friends. Steve used to go to East Valley Bible Church uh, years ago and, and is now at uh, Arcadia. And I'd like him to come up and um, close us in prayer, if he would, tonight. Thank you. Uh, I didn't you get go. a chance to... Do I need there a go. mic? Yeah. yeah. I didn't get a chance to say my one of my favorite Schraderisms that wasn't covered here today, and it was a comment he would also make that for Christians, this life on earth is as close to hell as you'll ever get. <laughs> and, and for non-believers, uh, this life is as close to heaven as you'll ever yeah. get. And I, I always thought that was just a, a great reminder as well. Yeah. So thank you. Uh, let me close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the institution of the church that you've given us where we can gather together to uh, share the faith that you've given us and the wisdom and the truth and, and so that we can grow even stronger uh, by this mutual reinforcement of it. And I'm just reminded of, of what Sandy uh, would tell me periodically and what I think she shared at Tom's funeral, uh, that in his, his last days, one of the things that he would always say, uh, apparently, and it's just, it's a reminder that even more simply capsulizes everything we should know, he would say, it's all about Jesus. Amen. He would say, it's all about Jesus. And, you know, if there's one thing we, we can remember and take away, there's all the nuance of theology and doctrine and stuff, but uh, the, the great news is that it's all about Jesus. And so as we leave today and cherish the memories we have of Tom uh, and God's work through him, uh, let us just remember it's all about Jesus. In your son's name we pray, amen. Amen. Hey, you all, thank you very much for being here tonight. And those of you who watch the live stream, thanks for uh, tuning in. We hope that this has been an encouragement uh, to you. And uh, God bless you all. Have a great evening. Go and live all of life. Hope to Jesus.